0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is the Solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. Um, Excited to be here today. I have a special guest with me, um, but I wanted to say, you know, each week, just about, I get emails from countless people all over the world, and a lot of times they ask me, so what made you start this podcast? And and I've told this story probably a dozen times or more before, but for those of you who are new, uh, that the podcast really started because one of my colleagues years ago, now many of you know, uh, celebrating 10 years this August, um, make sure you're here for that big broadcast in August, but celebrating 10 years and um, and before I even really knew what a podcast was. and And so... Each week after I had traveled or maybe during, during the month, I'd travel, and I'd always come back to meetings and these gatherings with my colleagues, and I'd, I'd usually say something like, you'll never believe who I talked to. And so I had the great opportunity to sit next to fascinating people on the airplane, or I'd stand in line at a, in a terminal or somewhere, and I'd, I'd meet people, and I'd say, here's what we talked about. And so this colleague said to me, you know, you really should have a radio show. Guess who I met? And I well, actually he said a television show. And I said, no, no, no. But then he said, there's this thing called a podcast. You ought to try it because I think your conversations that you've had, you should share them. Just get on and talk about them. And so I started inviting people, um, fascinating people with great stories to tell. And here we are today um, with today's guest as no exception, um, we have with us today, Jonathan Golston, who's the Director of Ethical Empiricals, I mean, I'm sorry, Imperatives, LLC. He uh, works with professionals to create a culture of ethics um, and has been a TEDx speaker, uh, podcast host, columnist, author, and he he is self-referred to as a repentant uh, hitchhiker. So a world traveler, and a rabbi. Welcome, Jonason.
0: Thank you, Brian.
1: It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, glad to have you. Uh, so, you know, I've I've heard you uh speak and and I really would uh, love to hear you say a little bit about Um, how you ended up where you are I know that early in your in your life um, you referred to yourself as atheist and then agnostic and here you are today a rabbi so tell me a little bit about that journey Um, you know before we we uh, went live uh, I said to you a lot of times people make assumptions that when they see someone at at a certain point in their lives, such as you accomplished and confident and secure in who you are, um, that that must have been kind of a linear um, upward mobile trajectory and and at least from what i've found is that that 's rarely the case is that a lot of times people have had um, dare i say nonlinear approaches to life and And where they are. So I'd love to hear how did you go from atheist to rabbi? Well,
0: I think you're right. Uh, You know, I certainly I would never have envisioned myself ending up where I am now. Uh, I went to University of California, studied English, and I chose English pretty much by default. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I loved language. I loved stories. I loved lessons. And I thrived in English. But, of course, the problem with English is, what are you going to do when you graduate? Mm And so uh, the only thing that really really seemed to make any kind of sense to me was uh, to put on a backpack and go hitchhiking across the United States. (laughs) Uh, You know, on one level, um, I wanted to be a writer. I didn't feel I had anything to write about. So I thought maybe I'll go have some experiences. Maybe I'll learn a few things. But also, I felt that my life had been very structured, had been very neat and orderly and predictable, and I felt like I really needed to break out of this, well, you know, now we call it the comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And so I did something that uh, many people, including my parents, thought was quite radical, but it really forced me to put myself in situations, yeah. you know, potentially dangerous situations. I certainly don't recommend it to anybody today. It's a different world. But it gave me the opportunity to um, meet all kinds of people mm-hmm. and to get a vision of the country, to get a vision of human psychology and human experience. And I caught the travel bug. So after half a year of hitchhiking, I crossed the Atlantic, went backpacking across Europe, and then I ended up in Israel. And there, through a series of unlikely events, uh, I reconnected or really connected for the first time with my Jewish roots. I'd grown up knowing I was Jewish, but with really no idea what that meant or why it was important. And in Israel, I discovered this you know, vibrant culture of deep ideas and thriving community. Uh, at the same time, I wasn't ready to make a commitment to a religious philosophy. Um, I had grown up considering myself an atheist. Then I became a little bit more um, open-minded, let's say, and uh, called myself an agnostic. I didn't, didn't really want to make a commitment. And when I found myself in a room with a Hasidic rabbi, um, I thought, my gosh, what in the world could this person possibly have to say to me that would be of any interest, of any value? And then he started to talk. He sounded like a college professor. Mm -hmm. I found out later that he was. But he was so articulate and so eloquent and so rational and so knowledgeable that I had to reevaluate my stereotypes. I had to reconsider. Here's someone that I couldn't believe would have anything important to say to me who really is making a lot more sense than many of my college professors did.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and I decided that it would, it, would, it would be a lack of integrity for me to simply walk away and not give him the chance to make his case. hmm and uh, over the course of the next uh, weeks and months, um, he convinced me that this was actually a rational belief system and that it was based in empirical evidence, and it, it, it followed the arc of history, and it was the guide to living a successful and happy life. Mm-hmm. And it changed the entire course of my future. I spent nine mm-hmm. years in Israel studying, got my wife there, had her first two children there, and then embarked on my career as a rabbi, first as a, mm-hmm. a teacher in Jewish schools, teaching uh, teenagers, and, um, and now taking that, the universal wisdom and, and lessons of Judaism and presenting them for a secular audience, a professional audience, mm-hmm. translating the values of Judaism into a message of ethical leadership and intellectual diversity.
1: Excellent. You know, um, I I do have some questions about um, some of the things that I've heard you say about values and how you get to them. But first, I want to share um, something that you said that really resonated with me and and opened my eyes a little bit to what open mindedness means and and just hearing the word uh, open-mindedness sparked for me various images and and experiences, even of when people would say, "Well, just keep an open mind." Um, what that often meant, and what you said in one of your talks um, was that open-mindedness is not accepting that every belief as valid. But open-mindedness means accepting the possibility that truth may lie in unexpected places, and I thought that was brilliantly stated. And um, I, I want to know and hear more about how you how you came to understand and what what that meant for you. What what were some of the experiences you had to have to to be tried with other values first and then just come to the conclusion that there are, there are truths that are not where you thought they would be. Well, you know, we
0: have an expression that uh, you can be so open-minded that your brains fall out. <laughs> and if we are, you know, if we're too accepting, if we're, if we're naive, if, if we take everything at face value, um, then we're not we're not being discerning. You know, mm-hmm. we, we live in a world where you know, people tell us the worst thing you can be is judgmental, mm-hmm. and I think there's a, there's a little bit of a danger in that terminology because we're supposed to judge, but what is judging? It's evaluating. It's reasoning. It's using our thinking skills. It's looking at at, at evidence and logic, and so when you look at Anything you're only seeing one side of it you're not seeing beneath the surface you're not seeing around the back you're not seeing necessarily with context or perspective and open mindedness simply means that I'm open to the possibility that I'm not seeing the whole picture mm. you know, the, in, in the Jewish tradition, we spend a, a lot of time in our in our halls of study debates going on. You know, if somebody's used to studying in a library, if they walk into a, a Jewish study hall, they'd be aghast because the, it can be deafening sometimes.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. people
0: really impassioned, and, and history tells us that the great uh, the great academies of 2,000 years ago, they, they argued with such passion it was as, as if they fought with swords and spears, and yet they were friends. It never got personal because each side recognized the intellectual integrity of the other. Each side was most interested in getting to the truth. And while they didn't necessarily convince each other, but they came to a deeper and a broader understanding of what that truth is. And they were able to, to say, okay, you have a legitimate point of view, even if I disagree with your conclusion. Sure, sure. You know, I, was, I was teaching my high school class once, and I taught them the word ideologue. And one of my students, uh, an uh, Orthodox Jewish high school, one of the students says, aren't we ideologues? And I said, no, because here we we ask questions. We're not only allowed to ask questions, we're encouraged to ask questions. Mm -hmm. And I'm always open to the possibility that you will have a question that challenges me on one of my beliefs. Hmm. On one of my conclusions, it's that willingness to take a fresh look at old ideas. No no, no matter how convinced we are, we're true. We're true or we're we're correct. We're we're seeing things according to the truth. No matter how convinced we are, always willing to take another look. Because there could be angles. There could be nuances. There could be details that I've overlooked. There could be a context that really
1: changes the essence of my understanding sure sure and sometimes it is about your point of view or your perspective um, not to mention background and experiences that may um, temper or or influence the way you see something you know as you were speaking about truth it made me think about where we are in today's society though And how so much of what the public discourse is about feels like people are saying, you know, drawing lines in the sand that you're either on my side or you're against me. Um, I've even heard some people say it's not what it is, it's what we say it is, and on and on. And so this idea of of staying open and hearing another perspective or that, or hearing something that is the truth that may not be what you've been, you've believed for the entirety of your life. And, and so it just makes me wonder, what do we do to, to, in this, in this age that we're in right now, what's going on all over the country and have a show coming up in this month about it, but that where people don't want to teach the truth. um, And I don't know if that's out of fear that somehow it will alter who the children are. So, but, but being, to me, being open-minded requires practice as so many things (laughs) do um, and so how are we going to teach children to be open-minded, given what we see going on right now? Well, we have to model
0: it. Uh, you know, we, Some people have referred to this as the, as the post-truth society, which, which is a really disturbing uh, <laughs> yes. concept. Uh, yeah. you know, I, I remember one of my college professors who said, I don't understand people who complain about being disillusioned. I would like to be relieved of my illusions. And, you know, we are so caught up in our own egos that I've I've invested myself in a way of thinking and in a point of view and in a philosophy or ideology or a political party uh, or a social issue. And now if I admit that there may be another legitimate way of looking at it, mm-hmm. well, how do I justify all that? energy and, and investment that I've made into this worldview instead I double down mm-hmm. and I become more adamant and and then you have the the phenomenon of groupthink where we just retreat into little enclaves of like-minded people and say the same yeah. things over and over and nod well, in agreement
1: absolutely and,
0: and there's we become calcified in our thinking we come on become unwilling to recognize any other point of view and we vilify People who think differently, they, they must be evil mm-hmm. or deluded
1: mm-hmm.
0: or mm-hmm. invest simply ill-informed when in mm-hmm. fact we're ill-informed because yes. we're not exposing ourselves to the information or, the, or the, the reasoned arguments that can help us get a clearer perception of our reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But So you know, the way that you teach children is by giving them the opportunity to experiment, to reason to think. I mean, when I taught, I always used the Socratic method. I would ask mm-hmm. the students questions, and I would let the question hang in the air. And I remember one time, uh, uh, was a was very bright young uh, young lady, um, and she 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 says to me, "Why can't you just tell us the answer?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've I've had that happen. <laughs>
0: you know, it's because I want you to learn to think. You can you have access to the answers. You can reason your way there. Or we yeah. can reason our way there together. Yes. Don't wait for me to spoon feed you. Mm-hmm. Well, for me to do that, I have to be willing to let students experiment. Mm-hmm. I have to be willing to let them propose ideas. And if they said something that, that really, maybe it really is wrong, mm-hmm. right, instead of saying, no, that's wrong, I said, well, let's investigate that. Let's mm-hmm. follow that to its natural conclusion and see where it leads us and see if it's a an idea that really
1: uh, that really has integrity, right? But people are afraid to have adults do that. Never mind children. Uh, I mean, you know, exactly. I, that's what I was saying about have children have to practice. So practice means that they're going to make mistakes. But but what it feels like also is the idea that adults might try to grapple with a a moral question. Um, Without someone saying, I I remember hearing you say what you thought that rabbi was going to say the one, you know, the first day that you were at the college that you, you know, he appeared and he looked a certain way. And so you thought he was going to say something um, very different than he ended up saying to you. And so, but, but the idea that adults would, would have to grapple with very tough issues and dilemmas and then maybe come up with a different conclusion is for some people not, it's like that's the wrong way to go about it, that they want to tell people, here's how you think and you're not, you know, whatever label um, because you think some other way. So how well, this is you why do... I, I
0: titled my book uh, Grappling with the Grey. Because we all want to retreat into these black and white uh models, because it's simple it's easy i don't have to think too much i don 't have mm-hmm. to live in a in a, in a in a space of ambiguity, but most of life is gray, and we have to grapple with that grayness with that uncertainty mm-hmm. that's just that's just the reality we live in, and if we pretend it's not there, it's not going to go away by itself
1: yeah yeah. So what do you think we do um, when there are people in our circles who want to hold fast to the tel- like not the model of, of figuring it out, but someone tell me what to do? So I have a lot of people that are listening that are in leadership roles, and they're looking for some strategies. Hopefully you have some ideas about, how, what, so what do you do when people just want? To know tell me what to do how 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 do you handle that when people I mean I know in the case of the the students but what about adults I'm sure people come to you for advice all the time and and what how do you handle it
0: well you know people come for different reasons Um, sometimes people come with for help solving their problems And and they're not looking for philosophy. They're looking for solutions. But when people come to discuss ideas, um, I I actually uh, published an article uh, a year or two ago. Um, I guess it was just about a year ago because it was right after January 6th last year. And and I wrote um, the following sentence. I said that I wrote that Donald Trump is responsible for the um, attacks on the Capitol and should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. And then I said, if you agree with this statement, write a short essay opposing it. And if you oppose this statement, write a short essay defending it. Now, I had people on both sides attack me, saying, there is no other side. (laughs) (laughs) But I also had people who wrote me saying, I, I did what you said, I wrote the essay, and it was very instructive. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to consider the other side. Mm. And that was a very encouraging experiment. You know, you're always going to have people who absolutely really refuse to look at things in a new way. And, well, maybe over time, some of them you can you can convince, but just getting those people who are capable of seeing two different sides to an issue and just need a little encouragement to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, That's what, that's what civil discourse is really all about. Mm -hmm. Not Mm -hmm. trying to ram my ideas down your throat. Right. And the other idea is if I show you, and I talk about this in my Ted talk, if I, if you explain yourself to me and I, repeat to you, in my own words, what you've said, and I show you that I've heard you, now you're going to be much more willing to listen to me if I express a different point of view. Mm -hmm. Because I will have established credibility in your eyes, and I will have established trust in your eyes. Mm -hmm. So the first step can be showing others that we understand where they're coming from. You know, This applies in all kinds of areas. This applies in business, too, when you're grappling with with a business decision. Right? To make sure that every side, every possibility, every angle is represented, then we have a bigger picture that's going to enable us to make better decisions
1: mhm mm-hmm. um last thing I know um that i I thought about uh, with after hearing your talk uh was that you talked about values and you you actually challenged the audience um uh, during your your talk about values. In the question of how do you get to them, and and because and I think you started out also talking, are they things that um, just have been passed down to you, or have you examined them? I know you you mentioned that this this rabbi that you encountered challenged you to reconsider your label. Um, talk to me a little bit about what you mean by. Um, how you got to, or how does one get to their values?
0: Well, we we get very hung up on labels. You know, I'm a conservative. I'm a liberal. I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. I'm a Libertarian. I'm a moderate. Um, but once we once we slap on those labels on ourselves and on other people, then we're back to that place where we were talking about before, where I, I don't have to think anymore. Once the labels in place, okay, I know who you are. I know who I am. I know where we stand. We need to get past the labels
1: mm-hmm.
0: and to realize that it's just the way of of human nature that we absorb our values from our surroundings. It's environmental. It's also to some degree genetic. You know, there are certain character traits that people have higher or lower in, in terms of orderliness or or conscientiousness or openness um, or agreeableness. And it's been demonstrated that depending on which of these qualities you have in varying degrees, that's going to predispose you towards a more conservative or a more progressive view of the world. Mm-hmm. And then if your family has a certain political orientation and your, your university does, or your friends in university do, or your neighbors do, we may end up highly invested in ideas that we really haven't chosen for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And do I really want to be a victim of circumstance when it comes to my core beliefs? Mm. Or do I want to make the effort to really work out for myself, which are the beliefs that are worth investing in? Mm -hmm. Because only then can we really be secure Otherwise, if we know subconsciously, we may not even be aware of it fully, that we haven't reasoned our way to our values, we're going to be defensive. We're going to be Mm -hmm. insecure. And I I say in my talk that that all extremism and fanaticism comes from a lack of security. Secure people are not extremists. I don't have to tear you down because you disagree with me because I'm secure in what I believe. And so you're not a threat to me. But if we haven't if we haven't taken responsibility for working through that intellectual process, and that means talking to people who don't think like us, it means listening to. Right, if I'm a conservative, listen to to NPR or MSNBC. If I'm if I'm liberal, listen to Fox News. Um, doesn't mean believe everything they say, and it also means being discerning because not everybody on Fox News is 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 equally credible or uncredible. Mm-hmm. Not everybody on on NPR is equally. Uh, believable or or unreliable. It's that discernment that we have to develop. And and that's really my my whole focus on ethics is all about disciplining ourselves to take responsibility for the impact that we have on the world that we live in. Mm -hmm. And it starts Mm -hmm. with developing our core beliefs. And that's going to affect our relationships in every level, in business, in family, and in community. Mm -hmm. It's going to be the... The, the metric that, that drives our success
1: in all the various aspects of our lives. Sure, sure. I don't know if you're familiar with this exercise. I do um, some um, facilitation at times of, of retreats for various organizations, what have you, and there's an exercise I do, and it's, and depending on what their goals are, I'll use this exercise. And it's values, and it's the use of these, what they call values cards. Uh, you may be familiar with it, but there are about, let's say, 28 different cards that span a fairly comprehensive, certainly not exhaustive list of values. So things like religion and family and work and exercise, health, things like that. And so they, these values, these words, labels are placed all on separate cards. And so the exercise goes that with all these cards, I ask people, they're sitting at a table and it's a, an exercise where they are asked to just take their time and look at each one of the words and identify five, only five cards that they would consider most important to them or ones that um, most resonate with them. And some people really, really struggle with this um, because it means you've got to choose some things over the other. But it's intentionally designed to make you struggle and think about how important one label is over another for you. But at the end of all of this, when we debrief, um, what I ask people, not so much about, I tell them it's like, you know, this is really not about where you ended up with these five cards. It's the process that was important and getting them to examine what's important to them. And you may not be surprised, but I'm sure a lot of people would be surprised that to learn. When I ask the question of people, when was the last time that you sat for 20 minutes without interruption and examined your values, examined what was important to you. And there are people who look kind of astonished and amazed when they have to admit to themselves. There are some people often that say, I've never done that. And others say, it's been a really long time. And, you know, it's It's something that is really important. I think what you said about... Um, just take, just considering other perspectives um, is important to know what is important to you. And and there there's just so many people who have not taken the time to really know what their own values are. Yeah, and it's not a simple process. Uh, I, I
0: belong to an association that actually helped found it. Um, it's an association that's devoted to uh, to bringing ethics into business, and um, and we wanted to articulate our core values. And it took us <laughs> not easy three or four it took us three or four meetings. Yeah, um, To to really get down to our five core values, it took a lot of discussion, a lot of thought.
1: Yeah, very difficult. Well, listen, uh, Jonathan. It has been such a pleasure talking to you. I am thankful uh, that you came on for this conversation. Learned a lot from you. I, uh, I want to give you an opportunity. Please share um, what how Mike might be able to reach you by you know email, Twitter, Facebook, what have you. But also, um, if you could repeat the the name of your book, um, because I'm sure there's some others. Out there, that would also be interested in in hearing more about what you have to say. by all means, uh, the book is grappling with the
0: gray, and it's actually a collection of of ethical scenarios and dilemmas with a guided discussion to help us not conclude what's right, but to see both sides of the issue. So it's it's a very engaging and informative read. Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh, people can certainly connect with me there. Uh, my name is Jonas Golson, and, uh, and also my website, which is my name, also my my company, which is Ethical Imperatives, and I encourage people to uh, to reach out. Uh, you know, I'm happy to to schedule a half hour conference with anybody uh, who'd like to uh, discuss how I might be able to you know, help them bring ethics into their lives and their business uh, as a strategic
1: advantage, competitive advantage. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, and we'll be listening and reading. Um, I've seen you a lot on LinkedIn, um, but until next time, go well, stay well. Thank you very much.